continuing in our series in the Gospel of Luke titled Upside Down. So I would invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. You can find that on page 871 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. So the title of today's sermon is The Fear of God. And there are two applications that I'm going to be making from the passage, which come in the form of two statements. First of all, don't be hypocrites who hide things because they fear man. They will be rejected forever. Instead, be friends who hide nothing because they fear God. They will be accepted forever. So with that said, if you are able, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. If you're not able, please stand with us in your hearts. Again, today's passage is Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12. Church, hear the word of the Lord. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men The Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you should say. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's say this together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So my parents didn't find out if they were going to be having a boy or a girl. They had a feeling it was going to be a girl. I don't know what that says about me. They had a solid girl name picked out, but not so much a solid boy name. And so when I showed up, to their surprise, my dad, who is a World War II buff, needed a name fast. And so he went straight to his favorite soldier of the war. General Omar Bradley. I guess he could have chosen Omar. That'd been kind of cool. But Bradley's all right, too. So during the war, General Bradley was the general of all army troops at the invasion of Normandy. You would know it as D-Day. He led the largest body of American soldiers to ever serve under a single field commander. 
and he was promoted to a five-star general, which is the highest military rank in the U.S. But according to my dad, that's not why he named me after him. General Bradley was his favorite soldier because he loved his men. Yes, he was a brilliant leader with foreboding power, but he was quiet, humble, and he cared for his soldiers. He was genuine. And so, although they feared the strength of his hand, they trusted the tenderness of his heart. Thus, they followed him with confidence, even unto death. So, as we continue in a section of Luke, where Jesus' popularity is growing, we see crowds who are longing for a leader like this to follow. But unfortunately, what the crowds have been given is a group of leaders with great power over them, but little care for them. And so although Jesus is doing every kind of good to the people, he's serving them and encouraging them and teaching them and healing them and saving them. In response, we read this. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. So they were not following Jesus in order to learn. They were following him in order to cancel him. They were not genuine, but hypocrites. They were hiding their true selves. To use a biblical phrase, they were like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Which is imagery probably more familiar to us in our day from the story of Little Red Riding Hood. I'm not going to tell it because you know it. But there a wolf pretends to be a grandmother in order to lure and devour a little girl. It's creepy, especially for a children's story. You see, the Pharisees felt so right in being suspicious of Jesus that their ears could not hear 99% of his teaching because they were listening for the 1% that allowed them to dismiss it all. It's easy, though, to caricature them as the bad guys, the villains of the New Testament. But remember this. In their day, the Pharisees were religious and virtuous men. They would have been considered upstanding individuals by their community. And so thus, probably without even realizing it, the Pharisees were pretending to be followers in order to lure and devour the Son of God. That's creepy. And it's creepy because the same thing can be true of us at times, and we might not even realize it. Hypocrites don't usually know they're hypocrites. And so Jesus' words from today's passage come to us as a warning. And so I sum up the first part of his message this way. Don't be hypocrites who hide things because they fear man. They will be rejected forever. This comes out beginning in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus knows there's hypocrisy in the crowd, that is, using the outward appearance to hide the true character within. He describes it as the leaven of the Pharisees. 
Now, if you're not a baker, leaven is a substance that you add to bread dough in order to make it rise in preparation for baking. So think of big bread loaf, not tortilla, okay? Even though you put in a very little amount of leaven in the dough, it creates this slow and silent chemical reaction that permeates the whole lump. And so what Jesus is saying is that the hypocrisy of the Pharisees is permeating the whole crowd and that the whole crowd is ultimately leading to a cross. And so before Jesus warns the crowd, he turns to his disciples first. You know, sometimes as a modern preacher, I I wonder if people think that I love the culture and despise the church because I direct the majority of my preaching not toward condemning the culture, but toward confronting the church. But it's easy to preach against the sins of people who aren't in the room. Over and over, the Bible teaches that God's discipline begins with the family that he loves. And so until after the judgment day, we never sit as spectators while God's word confronts. No, Jesus speaks it to us first. Verse 2. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So here's the thing about the art of hypocrisy. It all depends on being able to keep some things hidden. For example, bluffing in a card game. That is, you pretend that you've got a really strong set of cards. Which, if you pull that off well, it fools your opponents into thinking that you're in a better position than them. And so they fold. That is, they give in to you. And that means then, to their dismay, you end up winning the game with what was actually a really weak set of cards. Got that? That's bluffing. But here's the difference with spiritual bluffing. It assumes you'll be able to fool everyone to the very end, but there is one that you cannot fool. God already sees our set of cards, and he guarantees that there will be a day of judgment where all your cards are on the table for all to see. The picture that Jesus gives here is what you have whispered in private rooms. That is, the inner storage room of homes in that day. That shall be proclaimed on the housetops. So our words and deeds in deepest privacy, then on display in fullest publicity. If that's not terrifying to you, I don't know what is. Listen to this. Every word you've said about people that you would never have said to their faces, published for all to see. Every action you've taken that would mortify you if anyone knew, posted for all to watch. Every thought you've ever entertained that's twisted even beyond your own moral tolerance, streamed for all to hear. Oof. It's kind of like, well, when you put it that way, Why would anyone want to be a hypocrite? 
But I don't think anyone ever sets out really wanting to be a hypocrite. The reason why we end up bluffing our way through life is because we fear man and not God. When we are acting like hypocrites, we are most concerned with pleasing people in order to please ourselves. Therefore, we will take any measures necessary to avoid something. What is that something? Acknowledging our need. And that allows us to hide behind the appearance that we're good. We don't need anything. And so what we want most is the praise of men. So what we fear most is the scorn of men. Which is exactly what Jesus exposes later in verse 8 when he says this. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So to acknowledge Jesus before men isn't just talking about the activity of your evangelism. That's how we usually interpret this passage. No, no, it's more than that. It's talking about the confession of your need. As Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, it's not just confessing that Jesus is Lord over one part of your life, but over every part of your life. Okay? I'm going to give you the gift of tactile learning here for those of you who are tactile learners. So I want you to do this with me. I want you to put in your lap your hands... Before, just put them in your lap before you, and I want you to close your fists, okay? Just close your fists in your lap in front of you. This is the posture of the unbeliever. The unbeliever says, Jesus, you'll not be Lord over any part of my life. I don't believe you're there. If you are there, I don't care. Okay? Now I want you to keep your hands there, but just open them. Just open them. This is the posture of the believer. The believer says to Jesus, Jesus, you'll be Lord over every part of my life. Take my life and let it be consecrated unto thee. Everything is all yours. You bought it all. You can have it all. There's nothing I withhold from you. When you find me withholding something from you, slap my hand because I don't want to withhold it from you. Now, keep your hands there. I want you to just close one of your hands. Just close one of your hands. So one open, one closed. What is this? This is the posture of the hypocrite. The hypocrite says to Jesus, Jesus, I'll pick and choose where you're Lord and where you're not Lord. You see that? But for those of you in the room who know how to play rock, paper, scissors. Kiddos, how many of y'all know how to play rock, paper, scissors? All right. In this scenario, who wins? No, it ain't the rock. Boom! That's right. You see, Jesus is Lord. He does not allow for picking and choosing. He is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Therefore, a life that is lived half hidden in order to please man it will always lead to wolfishness toward Jesus. You see, the Pharisees were threatened by Jesus because they wanted to keep the praise of men for themselves. And so knowing this, Jesus continues in verse 10. 
And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So when we are being hypocrites, it's not that we struggle with some of the demands of Jesus. Everyone does that. And that can be forgiven. Jesus, I I don't want to do this. Jesus, I don't understand why you brought this into my life. I don't get this command. I'm having a hard time with it. That can be forgiven. Here's what it is. It's that we continually resist the work of the Holy Spirit. The only one who can enable the faith that leads to forgiveness and the power that leads to obedience. That is hypocrisy. That is blasphemy. Now, many people are terrified of this verse, right? This entire sermon could just be about this verse, and most of it would be wiping away the fears and concerns that people bring to it. But I have found that the people who are very frightened of this verse are not the people that this verse is applying to, okay? It's the people who would ignore this verse altogether. So let me try to explain it. Blasphemy is not a string of sacrilegious words. Oh, I said the wrong thing. I can never be forgiven, ever. No, blasphemy is digging your heels in to resist the Holy Spirit day after day over a lifetime. It's an effort so great to convince others that you need nothing, that you're good, that you even convince yourself. And so, in your mind, you have no need of forgiveness. What is there to forgive? You're good. So you will be rejected forever. Because the only way in is according to your need and his supply by his forgiveness. And so, as we bring this point to a close, just remember again that it was not delivered to the Pharisees but to the disciples, okay? So church, don't be hypocrites who hide things because they fear man. They will be rejected forever. Instead, be friends who hide nothing because they fear God. They will be accepted forever. So the reason why I use the language of friends is because Jesus himself does. The opposite of being hypocrites who hide their true loyalty is being friends with nothing to hide. And so Jesus knows that if his disciples don't join in with the wolves, then they too will be attacked by the wolves. If the world hated me, then they will also hate you, Jesus says. And so he wants to prepare his friends. And preparing them means addressing what will happen When the wolves attack, they'll be afraid. So he's addressing their fear here. And so this is where, y'all, this passage tied me in knots this week. It's not until, I mean, I was telling Andy before the service, you know, sometimes you figure out what a passage means in the moment of preaching it. So if you see a light bulb go off, you'll know I finally got it. And maybe you got it with me. And we'll give credit to the Holy Spirit for that, okay? This tied me in knots this week. Here's a surface outline of how Jesus addresses fear in these next few verses. Do not be afraid of man. Fear God. Fear God. Fear God. But do not be afraid of God. 
Come on, man. What's a brother to do with something like that? Confess my need for more than a seminary degree. Jesus, be Lord over our understanding of the fear of God this morning. That's my prayer. I believe this begins in verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, but after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It's a friend who will look at you and say, there is something fearful. I want to warn you away from that thing. That's what Jesus does here. And the first, do not be afraid, applies to those who kill the body. So how's this for Upside Down, according to our sermon series title? We are told to not be afraid of the very thing that we are most afraid of. Dying, being aggressively, unfairly killed. What is going on with this? The only way that that's possible is to see it in terms of power. What do I mean by that? The fear of man is focused on power that you can wield over others. But the furthest reach of that power is what? Death. Well, you say, man, that's pretty powerful. Like, somebody wields death over your head. Like, that's, that's a strong, strong thing. Yes, it is. If you're impressed with temporary physical power. Let me give you an example. I watched a movie recently where the premise was set in modern times. Two astronomers find out that a massive Mount Everest-sized comet is barreling toward Earth. There's nothing can be done. It's going to hit and full extinction. One of those movies, right? But here's the cool satire part of it. These two astronomers then go and try to communicate this reality to a world that's gone crazy. And how do you communicate something like that to the world in today's time? You do it through news, which means you do it through social media. And so they're on social media trying to communicate it, and instead of people looking up to realize there's a comet barreling toward them, that this is based on science, it becomes a conspiracy. And everybody makes fun of it and makes memes out of it. And to the point where until that comet is literally, like, visible in the sky, like, people don't look up. They don't believe that something is about to destroy them. They're so distracted with this little bitty power that's in their hands and all the likes and hearts and things that go with it. And so why I'm telling this is while the fear of man has us impressed over here with this little thing, this temporary physical power, we're totally missing the Mount Everest-sized comet with eternal spiritual power barreling toward us. You see, the fear of God is focused not on power that you can wield over others, but on power that God can wield over you. And the full extent of that power is what? Death? No. Hell. The Greek word here is Gehenna. And this is a word that comes from the name of a valley outside of Jerusalem. There, God's Old Testament people had sacrificed children and worship of the god Moloch. And even though King Josiah brought all that to an end, the valley was still considered to be cursed forever. And therefore, during the time of Jesus, it had become a haunted dump where putrid fires 
burned continually. So what Jesus is doing is he is using visible imagery to communicate an invisible reality. He's saying, don't base your loyalty on what will save you in a temporary physical way, but base your loyalty on what will save you in an eternal spiritual way. The haunted valley of putrid fire is real, Jesus says. Fear the God who has authority over it. It is not popular in any time, but especially in today's age, to communicate that hell is real. It's not based on my authority. It's in the word of God. Jesus says it. I don't wield it over people to make them feel scared or bad. I preach it because it's in the word of God and we need to be warned of its reality. Jonathan Edwards says this, Almost every natural man that hears of hell flatters himself that he shall escape it. If the fear of God would fall in this room today, then no one would walk out of here flattering themselves that hell's not real and that they will easily escape it on their own terms, without anyone's help, without God's help, without the work of Jesus Christ. And so may the fear of God fall in this room this morning. You see, when we follow as friends of God, we fear the strength of His arm. It's real. His power forever. We revere the fact that He already sees our set of cards and that He will put them on the table for all to see and that His judgment on that day will be final and forever. Y'all, that will put the fear of God in you, as the saying goes. That'll, that'll put something in you that says, you know what, cheating on my taxes may not be the best idea because someone sees. You know, looking at this thing on the internet may not be a good idea because someone sees. There is a day coming. But the fear of God is more than just being afraid. Listen to how Jesus immediately follows up this triple call to fear. Verse 6. It's like, the way he transitions here is like head spinning. Fear God, fear God, fear God. Hell is real. And not five sparrows sold for two pennies. And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. So sparrows were so common in this day that they were the cheapest thing in the market. They were worth less than a penny. Y'all, that's cheaper than ramen. Okay? And yet God intimately knew every single one of those sparrows. And so the argument goes, if God gives that level of attention to yard birds, then how intimately does he know and care for you, his friend? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So why does this matter? Well, at least a couple of reasons. First, because the fear of God is more than just being afraid. It's like the time at pastor's retreat where Jason sous vide some pork belly. You may not know what a sous vide is, 
I'm still learning what it is. It looks like a trolling motor to me. But you, you vacuum seal meat. You put it into water. The sous vide rotates that water and heats it up to a certain level so the meat cooks perfectly and doesn't lose any of its juices, right? None of its flavor is cooked out. So Jason sous vide pork belly, and then he cubed it up, and we put it on skewers, and we roasted it over a fire like hot dogs. All right, let that get in your mind for just a moment. And so on the outside, you had this burnt edginess, and on the inside, you had this buttery smoothness. Put all that together in your mouth, and glory! You can't get enough! Yes, the fear of God is the burnt edginess of fearing the strength of his arm. But it's also the buttery smoothness of trusting the tenderness of his heart. You put all that together in your heart and glory, you can't get enough. That's the fear of God in its full view. And the second reason why this full view of the fear of God matters is because the fear of God prepares you for death, but it does not spare you from death. The call to leave the crowds and to follow Jesus is a call to die. And for some privileged souls, that means literally getting to die for the name of Jesus, your friend. But for most of us, that means instead dying to ourselves slowly, daily, over the course of a lifetime. Which is still dying for the name of Jesus. It just looks a little different. And so, when life is good, we don't really question if the hairs of our head are all numbered, do we? I mean, think about it. But when we're dying, we start to wonder. It's like the conversation I had with a missionary just a couple of weeks ago. Unbelievable suffering, layer upon layer upon layer. He surrendered his life to follow Jesus to the hardest place on the earth. You think that Jesus would just open up every door that every person who hears the gospel would believe because of his obedience. But you know what? It's been one thing after another. And he looks at me with tears rolling down his cheeks. And he says, in light of this, am I still called? Am I still loved? Am I still even His? Y'all, when when we are being eaten alive by the wolves, we have to hold in tension. This crazy thought from C.S. Lewis when he says, God's not safe, but He is good. And He loves you. So what's an example of what that actually looks like, right? Verse 11. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. When I signed up to serve as a missionary, you know, you hear all kinds of stories And you embrace the reality that you may die for the name of Jesus because of the place that you're going. In fact, one of the activities that we had to do before we left was writing out your last will and testament and also your funeral arrangements. 
what you want to happen if you were to be killed. Do you want a funeral there? Do you want it back home? Do you want it in both places? You know, that sort of thing. It's very sobering. And so you have this question in your mind, if that moment ever comes, will I stand for Jesus? Will I confess him or will I run away? And so one day I found out. We're out in a village. We're sharing the gospel. Suddenly this man who hated us and who was full of demonic power began to do what you see happening in the book of Acts. Begins to stir up the crowd into a mob around us. He's whispering lies and accusations against us. You literally see people's faces change as they hear what he's saying and they're looking at you believing his toxic lies from hell. And so in their frenzy, what they started to do was to push our truck over into the ditch on its side so that we couldn't escape. And then they were going to pick up stones and stone us to death. And in that moment, we saw what was going down. It was like, what's going to happen? It's really here. And in that moment, I want to tell you that like, I don't even know how to describe it. The spirit came over me in such a way that I didn't feel scared at all. I felt the most alive I had ever felt in my whole life. And he gave me these words. I didn't even have a whole lot of the local language at that point. But he gave me these words to just begin proclaiming the gospel with incredible boldness. Not worried at all about what was about to go down. Now, you may never stand before an angry crowd yourself for being a friend of Jesus. But you will stand before some wolfish person who bites at the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And on some days, that wolfish person may even be you in a moment of the flesh. Right? We bite at ourselves even. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves because we can be wolfish as well. So how will you keep from just biting back in that moment? Or from just saying whatever it takes to defend yourself and get yourself out of the situation? I say to you, he will give you the words and the boldness and the peace to stand and proclaim his name in that moment. How do you know? How do you know if you will die for Jesus, even if it's just a little bit? How do you know you'll take a bite and still stand for his name? I'll say to you on behalf of Jesus Christ, don't be anxious about it because you'll die for him if you'll live for him. That's how you'll know. I didn't know what would happen on that day when the crowd turned like that, but because I had already been living for him, which meant dying for him daily, In that moment, the Spirit just gave what needed to be given. Living in this reality is what we're talking about. That God's not safe. That being in the center of His will is not safe. Like it's danger. But He's good. And He loves you. That's what friends of Jesus do. And so I say to you, be friends who hide nothing because they fear God, they will be accepted forever. You know, I'm really glad that my dad chose to name me after General Omar Bradley. Not just because he was a remarkable man and leader, but because dad chose him over a more popular World War II general, George Patton. 
Now, if you don't know much about General Patton, there's a movie about him, and there's also an entire museum dedicated to him just down the road at Fort Knox. He, too, was a brilliant and accomplished general, famous for his toughness and courage. But he also became infamous for being brash, impulsive, and heartless. In fact, during the war, he was demoted after he berated and slapped two shell-shocked soldiers in a field hospital. Thus, he is remembered for his foreboding power, but not his care for his soldiers. His men feared the strength of his arm, but they did not trust the tenderness of his heart. In a fallen world, these are often the kind of leaders who are given to us. Hypocrites who hide things because they fear man instead of God. And you might say, you know, well, preacher, call those hypocrites out by name and we will cancel them. And though there is a time and place for that, I would say to you, it's just not that simple. Just like the Pharisees, who in their day were religious virtuous, upstanding men in the eyes of their community, it's often hard to tell by the outward appearance. And as we've already mentioned, sometimes we act like wolves ourselves and we aren't even aware of it. It's true of me. It's creepy. And so how do we avoid the leaven of making its way through the crowd, us included? By paying attention to its leavening in you. For example, when you're believing that something you're doing or not doing is making you right with God, beware. When you're thinking more about what you are against than what God calls you to be for, beware. When you're not confessing or repenting because you don't really see anything to repent of, Beware. When you are condoning in secret the same things you're condemning in public, beware. When you're reading the Bible to justify your convictions rather than to be shaped by God's convictions, beware. When you're tolerating God only to the extent that He doesn't permit or demand anything painful, beware. When you're adding to the gospel the necessity of belonging to a certain tribe or embracing a certain behavior or attaining a certain level of doctrine, beware. So perhaps we can sum these up this way. When you're not acknowledging your deepest problem, that you are evil, but instead hiding behind whatever gives the appearance that you're good, beware. The leaven is in the crowd. And the crowd is in you. So how are you going to keep from being rejected forever? By listening to the one who turns to you in the midst of the crowd and leads you to the truth, speaks to you first. Listen to this. Jesus Christ came hiding nothing from you. He came as a friend. He came not fearing those who kill the body. He came fearing him who has the authority to cast into hell. He came acknowledging God before men. He came knowing God numbered all the hairs on his head. He came refusing to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. 
He came facing trial and execution without anxiety over what to say. He came fearing the strength of God's arm and also trusting the tenderness of his heart. And so this is why today you too can live with a life wide open to the friendship of God rather than hiding parts of you from him like a hypocrite. This is why today you can know that God in heaven numbers the hairs on your head and says you're worth a million sparrows. This is why today you too can be so bold as to acknowledge before men who God is and what he's done in your life. This is why today you too can be given the desire and power to stop your blaspheming resistance to the Holy Spirit right now. This is why today you too can have confidence that when you face a formal or informal trial, that the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And this is why today you too can know that submitting to God as your leader will mean that whether by persecution or daily little deaths, you will lay down your life. You'll say yes in the face of death. Today you can fear the strength of God's arm and also trust the tenderness of his heart because Jesus embodied it for you. He revealed God's true character to you. He revealed to you what it means to fear God as he is. He died to put us to death as hypocrites. And he rose to raise us as friends. And he did it so that he could confess your name before God. It's like, man. Why why am I going to walk away here today worried about whether or not I'm going to confess his name before others? Because he's going to confess my name before God. That's what's controlling me. That's what's in my mind and heart as I walk away today. But that is, if first you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I say to you today, confess, believe, and come Walking in the fear of God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took a cup of wine and after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this marks the new covenant and the shedding of my blood. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, You're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. Church, we are announcing today, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Our invitation this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've confessed your sins and that he is Lord and believed in your heart, we'd invite you, whether you're a member of this church or not, to come forward to rip off a piece of bread, to dip it into the juice. If you're not comfortable with that, there's gluten-free bread available here in individual communion cups as well. If you're not a believer today, I would invite you, instead of taking communion, that you would take Christ. He has made himself available to you. He longs to be Lord to you today. Would you come? Would you come? There are going to be pastors in the back to pray with, 
with folks. And you know, when people come back, you know what they're doing? They're putting their cards on the table. That's what they're doing. Say, Lord, you already see it. You see my need. I need someone to pray for me. I need to bring this before the Lord, not just in my own heart. If you confess your sins, you'll be healed. This is what the books of James tells us. So come, let us pray for you as pastors. Put your cards on the table. You will be welcomed as friends. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning. We stand in awe of the strength of your arm. Lord, we stand in awe of the fact that you are God and we are not. That the greatest power that we can wield in this world is simply to take life. And yet you have the power to give life, to take it, to punish forever. Or to give life forever. God, your power is infinite. And so when you flex your arm, we shudder. And yet at the same time, we stand in awe of you because it's not just a matter of you flexing your arm. The strength of your arm is fully put on display in the tenderness of your heart. That you would not just destroy us as we deserve, but that you would send Jesus to live the life that we could not live in the fear of God. We hide. We are hypocritical. But he was never. He was never. And he was a friend to sinners, even though we crucified him. Thank you that he went to the cross for us. Thank you that he died for hypocrites, that he might cause us to rise as friends. That is the perfect picture of your tenderness as a father. And so would you answer my prayer this morning, that in this place, the fear of God would fall. Not with screaming and thrashing and terror, but in humble reverence at the reality of who you are and a clinging to you with all cards on the table, knowing that when we come before you, hiding nothing, you welcome us as friends. So Lord, have your way in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.